Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Hello. On this glorious Monday morning, we are bringing you, mm-hmm. although the listeners won't be hearing it on a Monday morning, but that's fine. Time continuity issues, no big deal here. Uh, we are bringing you a book highlights episode. So this is going to be an episode dedicated to overviewing, summarizing, and broadly discussing the books that we've read recently, six books in total. So that'd be 37 through 42 for those keeping track at home. How many people do you think have read all 42, Amanda? Have you and I even read all 42? Really? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. Yeah, that's mostly. true. Mostly. I've got them on the shelves to prove it. They're they're dog-eared, and I've got my notes and annotations and everything ready. Got my work yeah. to prove it. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be discussing those six books. We always like to stop and do a highlights episode about every six books, just to catch up with listeners who have maybe not been listening into the books as we've done them, and also just to kind of consolidate things a bit. Today will not be a spoiler episode. We will be discussing the works, obviously, to, to recommend them and try and discuss what makes them good or not so good. But yeah, our goal today is not to spoil things, not to give things away. It's basically to let, leave you with six solid book recommendations so consider it a highlights or mega recommendation episode if that makes sense we do have social media accounts where you can follow us and keep up with what we're reading and what we're you know recommending and and checking out lately Um, they are at the lightly literary podcast and that is on facebook and instagram that's where we're posting at the moment so follow us there that's where you can see yeah promotions for what we're doing keep up with our reading schedule and just get a general sense of what's going on that's the best place to catch up with us did I miss anything about the highlights episode, Amanda? I think we've, we're all set up here. Yeah, I think it, I think you hit it all. Okay, so if you're a new listener, should have said this at the top, but I'll say it now, you're in the absolute perfect place to join us for some book discussion and thought, because we will, again, be talking about six books, not spoiling very much, if anything at all, and trying to leave you with some recommendations. I think with that said, let's get into this. Let's start recommending and kind of highlighting some books here, Amanda. Yeah, let's do it. First segment we always do is a free association. So each of us has chosen a word or maybe a short phrase that we associated with the book as soon as we thought of it. So it's kind of, you know, a little Rorschach test with words. Um, uh, The first book up will be Soccer and Sun and Shadow by Eduardo Gallano. And this is a collection of, I would call them micro essays, extremely short reflections and essays about the game of soccer. And, you know, a lot of players who played it in World Cup events. And it kind of is a history, but it's definitely definitely not an informational book. I would not pick it up for that reason. It's It'll yeah. inform you a bit, but definitely not a, a in-depth nonfiction. Um, what's yours, Amanda? Why don't you start us off? Mine was movement. Um, and the reason one. for that is when I think of some of his descriptions, like the way that he describes uh, the movement of some of the players is what really stuck out to me and, and is still in my mind. And he captures the individuality of the player as well. He's really fixated on that. That's like a thing that he cares a lot about. You can tell that he loves and is intrigued by unique players, players who stand out among their, their peers. Um so yeah, a great pick for that one. Mine is poetry, which I think fits well, actually, but this is not a book of poetry. So if you're thinking about reading it, it's definitely not poetry. I believe I thought that just because this is about as close to poetry as nonfiction can get because it's so brief, it's quite observant, it's got some very thoughtful language in it, and the rhetoric and the kind of, uh, yeah, the, the rhetorical construction you can tell is kind of poetic and i don't know yep. if guyano is an author ever wrote poetry i didn't dig deep into his you know 
biography or anything, um, or what's the word I'm looking for? Collection of works, <laughs> his collection, his history of work. What's the, oh shoot, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's like, you know, an overview of everything something's, somebody's written or done. Anyway, I did not examine that, and so he might be a trained poet, he might be a professor of poetry or something. But anyway, I think his, his writing was engaging in that way. Yeah, definitely. The the way that he writes, especially um, in his descriptions of some of the players and in his descriptions of the field, um, even his like description of the game itself, it, a lot of it is actually very poetic. Not mm. always flattering, but, oh, but no. I think yeah. really beautifully told in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's definitely not always flattering. That I, yeah, Cosine, he is a quite he's quite cynical about some of the business aspects of the game and sort of the explosion and commercialization of soccer. So, yeah, a, a very solid nonfiction read. Next book up is A Good Family by A.H. Kim. This was a sort of mystery, I would call it a mystery story, and a, technically a murder mystery, though there's other things going on in there. It's also, a, I, would, I guess, cr- more of a crime mystery, actually. There's not, not really a murder, though... Yeah, we're not going to spoil anything, but it's a crime mystery. We'll call it a family drama. And Amanda, your word up first. What do you got? I said luxury. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that I thought of that is a lot of the what struck me about this story is, I mean, this is like super upper class people. And it's constantly kind of like thrown in the reader's face that. They do lead lives of luxury, so that's kind of the and 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 the problems that they have are like real problems, but also like it's because of their luxurious the need for for their luxurious lifestyle that brings it about. So luxury yeah. is the first thing that came to my mind. And it's now that you said that it comes to mind. There are actually two narrators in this, two narrators in the story, which I almost kind of forgot about. I mean, now that you said luxury, it came rushing back to me. And one of the characters, in a very noteworthy sense, doesn't live as luxuriously as the other one. One of them is just, you know, I think she's like a legal assistant or a legal researcher or something like that, and she's doing okay. But the other one is, yeah, a CEO, executive type. And anyway, yeah, it's a crime family story. Um, My word, which will give away my impression of this book right away, is boring. I did not enjoy this read. <laughs> but then I but then I realized that that's not about the content of the book as much as it is about my impression of it. So then I thought again and I came back to drama. And I just think that it's kind of in the most soap operatic way dramatic. Like it has kind of salacious stuff to it, but I also found it to be rather tame as well, which is a weird contradiction. <laughs> kind of a strange um, oxymoronic state this book ends up in where it's, I think, yeah, like objectively pretty... Yeah, scandalous, I guess, would be another good word. But also, it doesn't feel very intense or there's not a lot of moments of breathtaking revelation or anything. Yeah, I I found this book quite boring and did not enjoy it, but it is dramatic, so. Yeah, I think uh, soap opera was spot on yeah <laughs> that's, that's a great yeah but i great comparison there. yeah that's not and that's not even really a medium i follow or keep up with or engage with but it does seem like the whole thrill of soap opera is that it almost goes nonsensical and like this book does that too but in ways that are that i don't know i guess I was gonna say they don't make sense it's not satisfying anyway so definition to nonsensical uh the next book up another novel so two novels now in a row the city in the city by china mieville and amanda your first word for the city in the city 
Oh, which is, I should give a rundown from, of it first, sorry. I apologize to the listener who is like, I don't know these books, man. Help me out. <laughs> um, the City in the City by China Mieville is a, I would call it a sci-fi, but it's a very light sci-fi read. It is a detective noir story about a police officer who tries to solve a murder mystery or, you know, a crime, a murder. And the kind of twist or the sci-fi component in this is that the city that this detective lives in is in a parallel existence or dimension to another city that is kind of laid on top of it and depending on who where you are and how you perceive things you can see both cities um and so it's kind of a i would call it like a parallel world story i guess i'm not sure even sure if that's a genre but we're making it up now it's a genre now <laughs> and so that's kind of the twist of it is that there's these two locations they're not that similar they have you know some things in common and some things not and it's about the kind of cultural interaction and all that kind of stuff so definitely detective story definitely heavy on the murder and the sort of political machinations and yeah it's got a little sci-fi twist anyway your word amanda uh my word uh, you said it is noir um mm-hmm. he the author uh Mieville, i think that he very obviously pulls um from raymond chandler the the father of <clears throat> mystery noir fiction and um but not in a way that's like that that'll make you roll your eyes you know Mm -hmm. um i think that it was very tastefully done and that's what stuck out to me is sometimes these books can get really like like cheesy in some ways but i was i i loved this book and i was gripped the whole time and it's very very gritty and i and i enjoyed it yeah, and especially it avoids the femme fatale trope, which I feel like in noir that's extremely common. That became yeah. almost kind of like a joking laughing point at that you know at some point. And I don't even engage with noir that much except for in movies. But yeah, it I think avoids a lot of the stereotypes or like I guess I'd say like boring tropes, tropes that have become a little overplayed. So yeah, I put grimy for this one, and I it's strange. I don't even think. I mean, I guess it's because you're in the world of murder and you're in the world of sort of underground crime elements. I don't even think the cities are especially grimy, though one of them is definitely written to be a little more run down and a little more industrial than the other. So I guess that's what what made me think of it. But I, I guess the tone to me was just kind of grimy, which is not a traditional tone word. But we'll we'll see if we can swing it here. It's it's just a story where everything is suspicious. The cops are beleaguered as they often are in these noir type stories where. Everyone's a little bit, you know, out of energy and just kind of burnt out. And yeah, the mystery of it is a little grimy too. There's obviously some organized crime and political components. And yeah, I don't, I don't even know if I'm satisfied with this word grimy, but I don't think it's a bad fit. It's just the first one I thought of. It's you know, honest answers only here. Yeah, and it's also like at the atmosphere. So there's like rain sometimes. It's often like when I mm-hmm. when I read it, I envision everything in like sepia you know <laughs> like right no yeah that's it's true not no bright colors or anything in my mind as i read it it's it's the tone it's the atmosphere that the author creates it's very it's very grimy and old-timey totally yeah that's a great way of putting it too and i think the the characters aren't as much grimy even as the twists and turns happen and it's revealed you know who's maybe committed the crimes and who hasn't and all that kind of stuff there's never i think like you said it's never 
um, heavy-handed and overdone, which I think for a noir is probably the right tack. Um, I, I would also say that the sci-fi component to it, while engaging, is definitely not overbearing as well. I mean, it has, <laughs> I don't know, it's another weird description I've said today, where it definitely has huge influence on the story, but I think a person who doesn't like sci-fi could probably engage with it, because it doesn't... Yeah, once you once you kind of get the twist or you get how these two parallel places exist, um, which the story does aid with, there's no there's some confusion, of course, at first, but eventually it's explained well. And so, yeah, once you get connected into that and you just sort of get it, then I think the book kind of hums along as a crime story. So sci fi skeptics, I think this one is safe ish and it's pretty well written. So. Next novel up, three novels in a row, this is our normal mode, of course, as we, you know, tend to go (laughs) fiction heavy, (laughs) is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, an extremely acclaimed book and was turned into an Apple TV show. Pachinko is uh, 100% historical fiction. It is about a woman in South Korea around the Japanese occupation of South Korea, which was, hmm, pre-World War II? I'm trying to I'm trying to use my Americanized history markers. <laughs> you know, we're a war warring nation, so it's basically just compare it to whatever war America was in. I, yeah, it was 20s, 30s, 1920s, 30s. Um, anyway, and it's about this woman's life and just kind of wh- where she moves, how her family evolves and changes. There's like so much that goes on. It's gener- multi generational, so it's even hard to describe. A lot of it does take place in Japan as well as her family moves to Japan and she tries to kind of make it there. Lots of different really relationships a couple you know different themes but yeah it's a generational story about this woman's family trying to like endure and survive in south korea and then japan um and your word for this one uh, my word uh is survival because i feel like that's a major mm. theme um and that's kind of what separates the characters is the the idea of like survival versus um idealism so. oh yeah yeah definitely do you think that um, that they did an admirable job surviving? Yes, especially the the main character. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely uh, trials and tribulations would be the simple cliched phrase, but it does apply that it's yeah. There's there's a lot of like intense, and I think the times jumps the times jumps the time jumps help with this a bit too because it allows there there it seems like there are some moments of calm in this family's life and this family's history, but the time jumps skip those and it just gets us to the next turmoil or you know the next kind of major pivoting point for their lives. Um, and I think most of the characters are well drawn. I think in a story that big and sprawling, there's always going to be parts that don't sit well. But that's I don't know. It's the the risk of a bulky big history like that. And um, yeah, uh, my my word by the way was history, which is another kind of bland one. But it's it just feels sweeping in that way. I think it actually earns that term. I think it earns the association I thought of. It just felt very big in the in the sense of you know multi generation handing things down the influence of history history on us, the influence of our parents' decisions, the influence of our decisions on our kids, and all those kinds of, you know, broad points. And history just feels right with this one. Again, kind of a vague term, but I don't know. Sometimes those are the best associations, right? <laughs> yeah, and also, like, the there's the backdrop of, you know, World War II, the uh, colonization, the attempted colonization of Korea, and then also there's um, the... Uh, the post World War Two as well, what's going on there. <clears throat> and those are all backdrops, but they there is mention and it does show how those big world events do affect this one family. So Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And they are victim and and beneficiaries in some cases, too, to the broad sweep of historical events. The, the war is a pretty major one for sure. And then, yeah, the colonization, as you mentioned, was that that dominates a lot of the narrative as well. Identity mm-hmm. would have been a decent, broad one to oh, mention, yeah. too, just because of when they moved to Japan. As I mentioned, a lot of it takes place in Japan. And that interaction of cultures, interaction of peoples is extremely important. The identities there affect a lot of the story. So, yeah, big history. And for the most part, like I said, paid off pretty sprawling book. Definitely the longest we covered in this batch. But, yeah, I think, I think very, very solid, very... Kind of like a, I think the way I described it in the episodes was straight down the middle sort of book. Like it didn't move me greatly, but it was just well done throughout, like very consistently good. So that's Pachinko. Uh, Next novel up, final novel of this batch. Though this reads like a short story collection, it is definitely a novel. the, The construction of it is unique for sure, where each story... It just takes a character and jumps them to a different time. So it's, they're interconnected, but these characters, but it's not... Yeah, it it reads like a short story collection, is a novel because they're interlinked. It is A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan. Your word for this one, Amanda? My word is time. Um, Yeah. And and the reason I I thought of that is is actually a a few reasons. The first one being like the, the title... A visit from the Goon Squad. They say that the Goon Squad is time, yes. and so the 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 book kind of focuses on it. it Jumps from time to time. It's definitely not chronological. Um, <clears throat> so you'll go past then and present and future. Like the very last one is kind of like futuristic um, or parallel university type. Um, but there's the the idea of like time and like growth and maturity lack of maturity all those things are really important i think in in each of the stories there yeah the do you feel like the time jumping worked because i i loved this novel and i love the boldness of it the experimentation but it requires mm-hmm. some work do you think it held up okay over the course of the book yeah i i think that the time jumping for me didn't really bother me. It actually, I was like, oh, okay, where are we going next? And, but mm-hmm. that also lent itself to uh, when we were discussing whether it's more like a short story collection versus a novel. It also makes it, for me, more of a short story collection rather than a novel in some ways. Yeah, the fact, it, well, there's a contradictory component to that, which is that you can both pull these out on their own and that most of them, if not all, probably most, would read as short stories. So there's that element to calling it a short story collection. Then there's the novel component of like, well, the the characters are literally linked, so it's not even thematic. Uh, It's literal, like they know each other and there's there's direct connections. But then also the thematic stuff in this book, it takes some teasing out, I'll, I'll say that, so I could see why a reader, a certain type of reader would be frustrated. But I just found some of the connections to be quite rich and like interesting to talk about. So I, yeah, I'm I ended up on the novel side, but you could 100% pull these, some of these out, if not most of them, and they would read on their own. So it's it's fascinating experiment. My word was messy, uh, a negative adjective for a book that I really liked, but it is definitely <laughs> bold and risky in how it was constructed. I think the other way messy applies, other than just in the actual story's construction, would be that the 
the way the characters resolve a lot of things and the messes they end up in are strange and can be existential at times and you know there's relationship things that are messy and I, I don't know it's it's also a, a wide sweep of kind of intrapersonal drama and issues it seems like in every story that there's a different sort of conflict going on that everyone has a little bit of a different kind of struggle there there is a broad connection between it all which is the music industry and people following music trying to make music trying to understand each other through music so it is i think the back of the book cover says something about like there's a music industry executive and oh, his assistant that works for him so it's you know that's one topic but it is yeah it's messy it's part of the fun though is you kind of have to work it out with another person it's definitely a book that would read better with a group a book club or something yeah 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 reading those on your own unsure what you'd find <laughs> we found many yeah, it's things. A, it's a fun book to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And maybe that's our bias on the book club, of course, is towards those. The final book in this set of six is Pandora's Jar, Women in the Greek Myths by Natalie Haynes. This is nonfiction, so open and close with nonfiction in these. Um, uh, this is, I should say first, this is a interpretation it is a i would call it a scholarly work but it's approachable (laughs) about the greek myths and this academic slash writer natalie haynes interprets them with a feminist i don't know critique or lens we would say and she sort of goes back and digs into some original texts and explores the role of women in a lot of these famous greek plays and greek myths and your word for this one amanda uh my word for this one is retellings Mm. Um, and, and I chose that word because she does a lot of analysis of, um, how these stories evolve. That's kind of the crux of mm-hmm. her, um, thesis, I suppose, yeah. um, where the retellings, um, change over time, uh, because it's a reflection of the changes in like cultural ideals and stuff like that. And, um, <clears throat> and how the changes have not always been for the better for women, um, especially like in the depictions of the female characters. So yeah, retellings. I, yeah, I wouldn't say this is her point with m- most of the myths, but with a lot of them, her point is often that the ancient Greeks put women in a much more neutral or positive place than we would have believed, than our retellings and our reimaginings over the years have led us to believe. And so I wouldn't call it a reclamation by any stretch, but she's definitely interested in the way these things have, how language has changed these and how things have um, as you put it, cultures have kind of put whatever they wanted to on top of the myth and have reframed the myth in a way that the ancient Greeks probably would not have. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it's a pretty interesting work of scholarship, right? Like pretty, yeah. yeah, pretty fascinating and accessible enough. I My word for this one is heroes, an interesting one that I can't fully recollect why I would have thought of that, but that's the fun of this activity is to get to unpack. <laughs> and I believe it's just because... I don't know. I think it's because her expectation, uh, reasonably so, is that most people will think of Greek myths and think of big heroic figures doing crazy tasks, taking on quests. And so this is just such a nice counterbalance to that. Like, she does acknowledge the heroes and often analyzes their actions, too, and includes them in, in her scholarship. But yeah, this is such a look at the characters who are not often thought of as heroes, Um so maybe I was thinking heroes is just kind of an antonym sort of pick here when I associated this, which I did, you know, four or five days ago. So I can't 
I can't fully recall why I would have typed that with confidence. I mean, it's just an honest answer. But yeah, to, to be clear, this is not a look at the most famous heroes of Greek myth, though there are a few women who p- perform some pretty incredible actions. She's far more interested in the side characters that many people discount or kind of cast aside. Yeah, and the heroes that she she does analyze, like the male heroes, um, she does so, but points out that they are they've been kind of like glossed over and simplified in their own ways to be just these like the like superhero characters rather than deeply flawed people who often apparently rely on female help (laughs) and and the gods to get their their stuff accomplished but yeah like i i think that makes sense to choose heroes because while she delves into some of the the male heroes she's pointing out that uh, the male hero narrative um, historically was very much more affected by the female characters that have been sidelined over the years. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And I think a couple of the, the women in the book could be considered heroes if only our retellings would allow it so, to be so. Right. <laughs> if only we had mm. you know framed it in certain ways and if our continued obsession with the Greek myths would allow for such a, you know interpretation. So that's how she, right. she reads them. Um, any other quick associations for the six books? Hopefully that's a decent introduction to them. Yeah, I'm good. Excellent. A couple more segments then to give you listeners some recommendations and just help you understand the books better. Let's do our this or that segment. This is a recurring one we've done a bunch of times where we give two categories and then we pick a book that would fit each category description. So we'll start and I think after the first one, it'll make sense, hopefully. (laughs) The first category, this or that, is going to be a book that you would take to the beach or a book that you would study in a class. And why don't you keep us going, Amanda, which one fits each category? Uh, the one I would take to the beach is uh, Pachinko. It's the mm. biggest book, um, but it yeah. is something that is engaging enough, but that you can also like put down and walk away from for a moment if you want to or need to and pick it back up very easily. Um, so, yeah, if you want a, an extra long day at the beach, I think it's a good one. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And... To study in class, I said the um, Pandora's Jar, I think for obvious reasons, it's a yeah. uh, scholarly work, yeah. but also just the, the work with like the, the analysis of language and also to the way that she incorporates um, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh, Wonder Woman and stuff like like I mm-hmm. I think that that's that would be like such a great class to take where you analyze like the media the the contemporary media portrayals of of um, Greek mythologies and and compare it to like the original tellings. Yeah, you can see some clear paper inspiration in this one. I think. There's some clear ways you just offshoot and borrow a couple analytical points or a couple paragraphs from her work and, you know, tie that into a research paper. It all it all makes sense. (laughs) And for mine, I'm going for Beach with Soccer and Sun and Shadow, the nonfiction kind of micro soccer essays for the 
I, yours is more propulsive, I will say. So I get that as a beach read, Pachinko. It, it does keep you wondering what's going to happen to the family. Where is the plot yeah. going? And I think because it time jumps again, you also get that intrigue of just like, you know, what's the what's the next pivot point going to be? What's the next conflict going to be? I think for soccer, it's just that they're so short that you could kind of come in and out of napping beach consciousness and, you know, read a couple chapters quick, put it down, pick it back up again. I, I do think your interest would be contingent on how much you care about learning about soccer in that sense. Like, it obviously isn't going to hold your attention if you care absolutely nothing for soccer. Um, <laughs> but I do think the the micro nature fits for the beach and then for class i will say i went out of my way the answer to this is the pandora's jar <laughs> i went out of my way to pick a different book like i thought about it for a couple minutes and you know decided yeah just because it's so obvious that's the one it's literally a book of scholarship and you know her analysis of the language of greece ancient greek uh it's all worthy of study but i'm going city and city I think City and City, or the I should say the actual title, <laughs> The City and The City by China Mieville, I think this one would be a great study in some kind of class about, you know, borders, about the politics of like neighboring lands, neighboring countries. Yep. You could even do some kind of maybe colonialism stuff with it or sort of like other territorial dispute type of type of readings i'm not sure what class it would fit into perfectly but something like that you could tie this in and i would also be intrigued i think it has some eastern european influences so i think a class around that literature this might fit in in some in some intriguing ways i'm not the person to comment on how or how that would be or when or why that would be but there's some influences culturally and i think it could fit in a class like that yeah, I think that City in the City would be a, a fun read for like a poli sci major or something or international right. affairs yeah. or something, especially if they have like an emphasis on like um, justice, um, like uh, criminal justice. Oh, yeah. uh, so I, I could definitely see this being a book that a class like that would enjoy. Yeah, definitely. I think that would work actually perfectly for that and even crime i don't know are there are there i mean there's got to be for, for any literary department there's going to be some kind of themed class but there could yeah. be a themed class on crimes fiction and it, it might fit in that too next yeah. this or that category a book you read or would read when you need a pick me up or a book you would read to mope or you know get into your depressive state <laughs> deep in that feeling <laughs> how about for yours you can start us off uh, so for me, uh, for my pick me up, I actually said soccer and sun and shadow because I just I think that there are times when he's pretty negative, uh, but overall he has a very positive attitude and it just you can really revel in how much <clears throat> he loves soccer and the game and these players who. I, I guess are sometimes well known. Uh, Definitely, <laughs> not, yeah, he does. I'm not really. <laughs> yeah, I can at least comment and give my light expertise. He picks the most famous players to have ever lived. Oh, basically, <laughs> you know, okay. get, there's a couple odd oddities in there, but these are extremely influential World Cup. And he, the other thing we talk about a lot in the book clubs is he just fixates on the World Cup. Understandable enough, it's the b world's biggest spectacle and all that. But yeah, it's basically a tour of World Cup. Um, caliber players so yeah yeah um, but it's very positive and, and just sometimes a kind of funny and humorous in, in his depictions so mm -hmm. I, I I definitely enjoyed the book for the 
the love that he shares. Um, yeah. And then for me, for the moping, I said a visit from the goon squad. Um, the, overall, mm. I, like I loved that book, but, but definitely if you take the stories like one at a time, you're just like, by the end, you're just like, wow, there's like no happy ending. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's a great book. So definitely. And I think, that one, so my let me start with my mope then, because I went with Pachinko, another book that has a lot of things end poorly for characters and people. Not ex- not exclusively, of course. There's some, you know, hope and, and positive outcomes and whatever. It's just a portrait of life after all, a little bit of a mix. I, to me, the thing is that with a book like Goon Squad, because it requires that, like, chapter to chapter thematic analysis I feel like it just made me think harder about what it was doing the connections the threads it was tugging at I don't Mm -hmm. feel as immersed in the sad moments in books like that Um, I think in retrospect I can appreciate that or I think about those things I just think in the moment Pachinko because the narrative's you know more straightforward and it's moving chronologically and it does jump time and character but it's I I would say much more straightforward I think that's what helps with the mope when I am reading like I can get into the mopey, depressive states of the stories when they're more straightforward. I, I think mm. I like Goon Squad more just as a book. That's what I like books to do. But I think, yeah, yeah for my mope, I, they're both worthy picks for this. Because, yeah, in both yeah. cases, they have, like, real intense kind of downtrodden plot yeah. stories for some characters. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, for my pick-me-up, I went Pandora's Jar. Similar reason to oh. yours. I think yours is a worthy pick. Uh, the only thing that separates it a bit is that Pandora's Jar is actively at times trying to be humorous. I 100% yeah. would not recommend it for its humor. It's there. <laughs> it's modestly funny, and I would call it more charming than humorous. But I think mm-hmm. that's the part that I appreciated where it's like she's doing some serious scholarship, but at least she's trying to make it accessible and fun for the reader. And I think she succeeds for the most part in that. So I think that's why I went with pick me up. But there's a lot to what you said, which is listening to any person just speak passionately can be very pick me up, even if their passion is, you know, tinged with a little cynicism, (laughs) like just hearing passion on the page is is a pick me up. So I think both, again, worthy picks. Yeah. Any any time that there's like an obvious love for the subject, it's something that I think makes me feel better about what I'm reading. Definitely. And sometimes the most entertaining and not uplifting per se, but the most entertaining and fun people to be around are those who just have really articulate and eloquent negative thoughts (laughs) where it's like they can really perfectly articulate and interestingly describe some down state that they're in. I think that there's a weird pick me up to that, too. So a good choice. Uh, Final this or that category. A book that you would give as a gift to whomever, or a book that you'd prefer to see as a movie. So, a book to give as a gift, book to see as a movie. And your picks? Um, to give as a gift, I said The City in the City. Uh, the reason for that mm, is I think yeah. that anybody could really enjoy this book. You don't have to be somebody who who is a big reader. You don't have to be somebody who's into sci-fi. You don't have to be somebody who cares about politics or anything like that. It's just an entertaining story from just like an outside perspective. It's an entertaining story. The story moves along quickly. It's also, um, not a super long story. That's true. And, um, and it's, it's written very simply and the, he does such a great job with like atmosphere and tone without actually doing a whole lot of like 
exposition, exposition type world building. Um, but things are settled clearly throughout the text. It's, it's just, I think, a great book that general audiences could enjoy. And I think, too, let me interject this quickly, if you'll allow another of dozens of yeah. interjections. <laughs> the um, <laughs> I think this would actually be... A, so there's a lot of uh, books these days that are labeled as young adult that adults love, which I don't personally cast too much judgment upon. There's some literary folks who think, you know, it's kind of like, oh, adults shouldn't be reading all this YA, yuck, yada, yada. I, that's not really so much my position. But I will yeah. say that this would be a great transition if it's like... If I knew a reluctant adult reader who kind of liked those like big action epic young adult series and was just like, man, do you want to just take it a little more sophisticated, a little more of a tone mm -hmm. shift, like the writing's a little more advanced? Like, I, yeah, I think, I don't know if I'm framing that in quite the right way, but I think that kind of transition, this book's actually a great little stepping stone in that way where it's like, let's, you yeah. know, let's get you out of those long a little more simple and, and straightforward stories into something that, yeah, slightly murkier and with a bit yeah. more of an intense atmosphere or something like this is a good stepping stone for that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a great description to it. It is like a step up from, from the YA, but it's got a lot of the same fast paced things that are marketed for general audiences. Yeah. Yeah. How about your mm. movie? And for the movie, uh, I would definitely rather uh, watch a movie of A Good Family uh, than to read the book. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, now that I think on it, a brilliant way to pick for this prompt. Because <laughs> a movie, they could reinvent whatever they wanted to. Exactly. They could totally reinvent stuff. Um, the, and, yeah. the dual perspective and like the constant... <laughs> references to these uh, luxury products they don't have to it's just like product yeah. placement right um and yeah much so, less noticeable in a film like by a mile yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and because there'd be no uh, first person narration it wouldn't make it wouldn't have a twist that made just absolutely no sense but, you know, I, I went into depth about the, how that bothered me. I think it could also just be a kind of expected twist of the genre of sort of mystery genre storytelling. But I found it to be it, just putting it in the first person made no sense to me. I thought that was just wild that she did that. And a, a film would have no issue with the kind of twist it wants to pull off. It could exactly. establish tension in a much more clear and sensible way, I think. Yep. Yep. Any other thoughts on the movie version? Who would you cast in the roles? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not about, really great um, with actors and actresses. For her brother. Now, her family is Korean, one of the main characters. And I'm pretty sure this person's Korean. Though I, should, I should check quickly and can. But there's a great guy who always looks a little downtrodden and sad. His name is Steve Yoon. Or I think it's Yoon. But he's an actor, pretty famous actor. Steven Yoon? Let me check this what quick. What is he in? Um, like the, I first saw him, though I didn't even watch the show, but he's like in The Walking Dead kind of famously. But he's been in a bunch of movies lately, um, including yeah. one last year that was enjoyable. Oh, shoot. It was about the family who moves to like Nebraska or Iowa, about an Asian family who moves to Nebraska or Iowa. Steve... Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm, I think the last name I might be getting wrong though. <laughs> might have to just cut this whole segment and put it in later. But okay, let me <laughs> let me do Google this. Okay, so famous um, American actor Steve. 
No, there's way too many Steves. Oh, it is. Okay, so it's Steven, and then last name is spelled Y-E-U-N, and he is South Korean American. Steve, is it, it, is it Yuen then? Win? It should be Yun. Yoon, Yoon. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he the roles he's been in, and he's been in a couple of noteworthy ones. He may have also been in the Pachinko adaptation, by the way. I can't confirm that, but I, he may have been. Uh, but yeah, Walking Dead... And, oh, Burning was the other movie he was in, a uh, South Korean movie that I really liked. Intense, kind of long, smoldering. Minari was the movie I was trying to think of. Minari was the drama that got some awards. I was trying to think of that one earlier. But anyway, that's a really long aside for not much payoff. But, yeah, great actor, interesting guy. And he I could see him doing the brother role just because he, he can play kind of a lightly depressed sad boy pretty well. Yeah, and he's meant to be um, like a super hottie too, right? And he's a good-looking dude. Yes. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, he plays a hunk like pretty often. I think. No, no question. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he was also not in the. Um, just to confirm, he was not in the Pachinko adaptation. So I was just yeah. confusing him with oh, another okay. actor. Anyway, there, there's yeah. my casting. The uh, you know, ten minute long aside, <laughs> off to keep no, cut I and like post. It. <laughs> <laughs> cut and post. The um, the awards I would give out here would be, as a gift, Goon Squad. So here's my approach. If I'm going to give a book as a gift, it's not going to be a safe book that a person could just find on Google. Now, that book did win a bunch of awards, to be clear. It's a very you know, beloved, critically acclaimed book. But I do think it's the kind of book I like to recommend because it's like a push to take a chance on something like I think anyone could find pachinko on their own and do fine reading it and enjoy it and it's it's just such a solid safe read that requires you know yeah. little risk I, I would say you know it, it just works I think goon squad is the kind of thing that I would recommend or give as a gift just to give that it's that shove you need to be like no you really should try this yeah it's not as straightforward yeah it's not as clear cut as maybe some other things but it's worth the effort yeah. Would you give the book to like just anybody or would it be a certain a certain type of person that you would gift it? I think I'm thinking it over because it's not sci-fi fantasy. I really think it would be just for about anybody. Now, you know, it also has to be I usually if I give books as gifts, I usually think over at least a little bit that person's taste and interest and stuff. So if they don't like mm-hmm. fiction, for example, you know, I wouldn't force that. I, I wouldn't try and do right, that. Right. But no, I think this one works on a in a broad sense because I also don't have friends who are in the music industry really. So it's like that's the only mm. <laughs> I was trying to think of anyone where that would fit really well, but I just think it's an excellent work of, you know, kind of old just fiction really so no yeah. i think i would get i would happily give it as a gift to to just about anybody and again in my gift giving zone i always try and think about what wouldn't this person know what wouldn't they have tried or read what wouldn't they have pushed themselves to do you know without recommendation yeah. or on their own and and again pachinko is the other one i thought of here it seemed obvious but i just think anyone can find that it's got adapted into a really good show like everyone loves it it's kind of got this universal praise like it's and it's just such a safe easy not easy to read but you know it's such a down the middle well-written historical historical fiction i just don't think it has yeah. a lot of risk in it um for better yeah. and worse i think um so that's yeah. that's why i picked that one in my movie the visual seemed obvious this seemed like a clear pick yours is i think more creative mine more down the middle city in the city because 
it has a literal visual component that would be fascinating to see filmed. <laughs> um, yeah. Two parallel yeah. worlds that often bleed into each other, that people sometimes get flashes of or perceive part of. It could make for really tense moments. It could be there's could be great thriller sequences done that way. It also does have some action scenes, nothing wild, nothing crazy, but it has some you know there's some shootouts and dramatic conflict and people confronting people and there's investigations and yada yada. So I just think in it would work perfectly. It's also something that in terms of atmosphere and setting, it's it's just made for a film or, you know, TV, something like that. Yeah, def- I'm surprised that there isn't a movie adaptation of it already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know people are so in the in their bag about crime fiction, too. People love that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah definitely the visual component. Like they could have a lot of fun with that. You could get. Um, you could do it all in sepia, right? <laughs> yeah, well, half of it would have to be for sure. I'm sure the the film yeah. cinematographers, filmographers would come up with something more creative than than I would. But yes, it would be just so obvious. You have one pretty shining, more I think East Asian inspired city, kinda, and then one is more Western European, and like you could do such clear visual traits, and so yeah, and motifs and stuff. So, yep, that's um. That's my pick for movie. Let's do our next segment, Amanda. The completely arbitrary but fun awards. This is when we take each of the six books again, and we have constructed our own award for that book. These are obviously, as you'll find out soon, meant to be a little bit silly. They're not. We're not giving you know like best book or best you know best male author, but we're not doing it like the Oscars. We're just giving you know <laughs> silly category awards for these books um, to again highlight a part of them that's noteworthy, something interesting about them, something that makes them worth recommending. Do you want to go first with your award and we'll go in the same order that we started in so soccer and sun and shadow first yeah for soccer and sun and shadow i said um the award for best unflattering description of someone you look up to Ooh, yeah i think that's good he he does <laughs> some of the soccer <laughs> players he admires who end up in squalor he definitely i i was i was gonna say critiques but it's more like laments how they have to end their lives you know pathetic and yeah. broke Mm-hmm. Real lament. But love of the game. Love of the game. That's right. And he loved the way they played, admired their play. I'm going to go for this one with the Wait Isn't This Poetry Award. Mm, yeah, I like that because there's a, it'd be like prose poetry. There you go. Mm-hmm. He writes like prose poetry. It does have that feeling, too. You just got to, if we were just to cut it up for him and put it in verse, obviously it would be non-rhyming, but I think it could still work. There's a there's a poet's yeah. version in, in this. <laughs> Let's admire for some sure. soccer players in the form of poetry. Yep. I love How it. How about for a good family? I said uh, oh, the most obvious answer to a mystery award. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I can't. Uh, I just want to go on a tangent again, but I'll hold back. It's because we're not spoiling on this episode. Our highlights are not intended for that analysis and spoiler type stuff. It's it's obvious and and also makes no sense, really. So I guess take that for what you will. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to say much more. It's a great award. Uh, mine is a, even a little more negative than that. Mine is the Thank God You've Kept Your Impressive Day Job Award. This goes to the book <laughs> and to the author, who is, I think is a Ivy League graduate lawyer. And so yep. this is, I think, I believe her first published novel. This is on the cover. And so, yeah, this book is terrible, and I'm glad she's a huge, successful person and 
I admire that career path and yeah, way to go and definitely do not become a professional author. It's not a, well, or do, or do, I don't know, a lot of authors, their first published wor- works aren't amazing or anything. So maybe that yeah. is the path, but I, th- I just think finishing this, knowing that she has a incredible, successful career lined up on the other side. I nodded yeah. my head in, um, it made me feel better about just hating this book. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Maybe maybe she can try again, but not write a mystery. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I'm going to come in as her um, kind of consultant editor and just do proper <laughs> noun checks for her on her behalf. I'll do that. I'll, my my yep. rate will be incredibly low. I'll do it not for free, but for a cheap, cheap fee. And yeah, I'll just do, I'll just check to make sure that every reference to an object does not have to be a proper noun. So that's yep, that'll be my job. That's my role. <laughs> um, how about for the city in the city? I said, uh, best use of noir without being too kitschy award. Yeah, okay. I guess noir can get that way. What are your, okay, you've mentioned Raymond Chandler a couple of times. What do you think of when you think noir? Movies, TV, books, like what's the, what are the go-to stories? Um, so I, I immediately think of, of Raymond Chandler because he's like the, the godfather of noir, right? He's, I think, mm-hmm. the one that really made it popular. Um but I also think of like Dick Tracy, <laughs> like those oh. types of stories too. Okay. So I definitely have like a black and white image in my mind for noir fiction and like the the detective with like the the meow meow see kind of like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah voice, you know. <laughs> I like it. Black and white, I mean it's it's just the only way. I I wonder if noir cuz I think of Sin City which was obviously hyper stylized and kind of exaggerated but you know dead serious as noir is I also think of the Max Payne video games which are incredibly kind of overwrought and it's my my wife's murdered and you know I might they, they killed my baby and it's just like the most intense stuff all the time everything's run down and it's raining constantly but it, I think it does all the things I, I just wonder with noir if I was introduced to it, the more either heightened or satirized versions I also think of um did you ever see spider-verse the animated movie recent movie no I've only I've only seen like a um a piece of that well it's it's phenomenal you should but there's a spider-man that kind of one of the jokes of the movie is there's a bunch of spider men from across the universe and spider and spider women but anyway one of them is spider noir so it's literally like a spider-man who's in a noir universe which you know it's satirizing that it's playing it up for jokes and laughs and it's like i almost think that's my impression of noir like it's so heightened it's so exaggerated so that's yeah that's kind of my it's it's as if you it's like when you get introduced to something through the simpsons so you don't know the serious version before the joke version if that makes sense where it's like i was introduced oh, to yeah. something as yeah, a yeah, joke yeah. before i knew to take it seriously so I, yeah i don't know i just have never engaged with noir in a deep way it's i feel like it's always jokes and references and max Payne, i guess is mine weird connection but it's true maybe maybe we need to read a raymond chandler novel then yeah throw one in there i'll i'll have to look at the next i know we've got our next six picked but yeah well i'll have to look at that and think about i definitely want to do a mystery i think i'm going to pick an agatha christie in the next batch just because i want to read a mystery that people really respect and love and i because that yeah a good family just left such a bad taste in my mouth so I, i want to do one that people love how about pachinko what's your pachinko award you didn't do your city in the city award Oh, you're right. I did. I was so involved in yours. Dang. Sorry. I hijacked it. <laughs> Mine is the I Can't Take Any More Proper Nouns Award. 
because I could not read <laughs> Breach capitalized. It, it is in that sense sci-fi-ish, you know, that it relies on a couple proper <laughs> nouns and says them 10,000 times. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love did, it. <laughs> did that get to you at all, or is that, is that just me? I think it was just you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. It was also, it's <laughs> funny, funny too, because I read so much sci-fi and fantasy that when there's 30 of them, that doesn't get to me. But this book, again, it only had a couple of them because it, it does one premise and sticks to it. But uh, yeah, just seeing the word breach come up 20 times on a page after a while just started to wear me down. So could, couldn't take it. Um, Let's jump to Pachinko next. So we got, we're halfway through Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. What's your award for that one? My award is uh, the best use of language blending in dialogue. Oh, yeah. I think I appreciated it too. Do any, any examples jump out? Um, the author did really well with um, blending, I think, a lot of conversational ticks in the language for both mm. Japanese and Korean. So, like, for the Japanese, when they say nay, like, isn't that right? Like, you know, th- those types of ticks. Like, she did that seamlessly. Everything's in English, and then you'll get, like, oh, there's a burst of Korean, there's a burst of, of mm. Japanese. And also, it's, like, the more Japanese that they... The more immersed in Japanese culture they are, then the less Korean verbal ticks they use. So it's, like, it's... I think she did it well as far as like a, a structural standpoint, but she also uses it well as a like a deeper component of showing like the the change in in their in their culture generationally. Yes, yeah, it especially with b- being between Korea and Japan, there are even some elements to that too where the characters try and learn a different language and sort of adapt to it mm-hmm. and they can kind of be understood kind of not no I, yeah it's a good award and it represents the kind of cultural identity stuff there at play I am going with the don't have sex with strangers award um, for <laughs> <laughs> now great that's a pretty narrow award because it really is just one ma- major major plot point hinges on this but if I wanted to be generous to myself, there are a couple other characters that their sexual desires or lack of is a pretty driving component. And so, you yes. know, it's kind of a jokey award, but actually it might kind of work. <laughs> I, I think it's a great award. It, it makes total sense to me, especially one of the, the later um, ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, yeah, it makes sense. And there's one who's very pure that you can contrast to as well. So, yeah, I think that thematically yeah. that fits actually funny very well. I, I hadn't thought about it before, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thematically yeah. it don't, fits. Don't have sex with strangers. That's the <laughs> philosophy of Pachinko. It's the works major thesis. Um, how about for a visit from the Goon Squad? What do you got? Um, I said best use of PowerPoint slides. Only. Only use. But yes, it wins by <laughs> default. <laughs> Yeah, a pretty neat chapter that I think, like so much of it, I feel like I got into the nitpicks on that I kind of like really admired it, but found some things to complain about. But then again, it's just, it's a thing that I enjoyed so much. It's kind of hard to say I was annoyed by it or something. It was extremely clever and pretty interesting too. Yeah. And and it was just the PowerPoint. She did so many other really cool things with her writing that was, you know, she's, she's experimenting with but the the powerpoints for me i was like i have never read 
PowerPoints as like a form of fiction before. So <laughs> I just, yeah, that just really stood out to me. Yeah. A hundred percent. Me neither. And I'll leave the analysis <laughs> to, you know, people can obviously the whole point of this is you can go back and listen to our episodes about those. I will, I'll uphold my nitpicks, but I won't say them here because we're not here to spoil or do deep analysis. But yes, it's, uh, mine is actually tied into that. I just went broader. Mine is the let's explore some literary boundaries award. And so a perfect pairing with yours. It's experimental, interesting, make some bold choices. There's a couple different ways to approach short stories in this. PowerPoint slide, though, is, yeah, number one on the on the front cover, and it's by far the most bold, interesting part of the book in the experimentation sense. So, yeah. Final book, then, for awards, Pandora's Jar, Women in the Greek Myths, for this one, Amanda. I said, uh, best academic writing infused with personality. Um, yeah. And, and what came to mind as I was creating this, when I was writing this down, was uh, we just finished um, previously the Philip Roth Human Stain mm-hmm. novel, yeah. which is like an academic novel, where it's like very much set in the world of academia. And there's like oh, yeah. these big ideas and philosophies that are explored. And, and, I, and I feel like this book was... M- more approachably written than that novel in a lot of ways um which is so funny because this is an actual scholastic work like (laughs) but yeah 100 (laughs) percent yeah well and yeah when you layer novelistic fiction especially if it wants to be if it has literary aspirations which roth uh, always did does um his works always do i should say that yeah that just it does show how much more challenging that can make something to engage with this person i mean as with any nonfiction, is writing to be understood so it's you know she, of course she has to make it somewhat approachable she wants to be understood <laughs> um has an <laughs> argument to get across and yeah mine is also similar so we these final couple awards we matched up well mine is the dissertation but make it cool award which is yeah this book nice. could stand as a longer than a dissertation would be obviously in the literal sense but yeah it's it is attempting to make academic claims and arguments it's doing heavy research it's digging into language and translation but yeah it's approachable like i i can't imagine that you could make a, I don't know, a more relatable, easy to get, fun voice, academic work. This is, I think, a, a great exemplar of that. Yeah, for sure. If only more academia was in this tone, you know? I know, man. Just think about how much easier it would have been to do our research papers <laughs> in I, It's funny, too, because getting into her... <laughs> Getting into this book and her work, one thing I picked up on, this is not a spoiler, but it's a stylistic one, I guess, is I picked up on this idea that she loves to end paragraphs with jokes. Like, that's kind of where she likes to inject the humor. So she'll do, you know, a bunch of analysis in a paragraph, and then at the end, we'll end it with a little kicker, with a little punchline. And I, I do have some recollection of articles in college and, like, reading research that was like that. Obviously, it's been way too long for me to pull an example, but I can kind of remember some scholarship attempting that but the thing is scholarship is often so serious that humor personality voice like i mean these are things that scholars think about but i don't writing with it is just a completely different matter so it's this is a skill that i just don't know if a lot of people in that zone have (laughs) which you know that's it's fair enough those are two different things but she she blends them well it's approachable and she keeps it interesting keeps it pretty light so Excellent. Any other awards you want to hand out last minute here? I don't think so. 
No, we, we've awarded enough. Those are they, they deserved and won their awards. Let's do our final segment then. Perhaps the most important. You ready to check in with Goodreads? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see what Goodreads has for us. These are our rankings. So we come to our final segment, probably the most important for somebody out there looking for books to read. We are just going to rank these one to six. So in terms of just, hey, what should I read? What's great? What would you recommend? We will just do it now in a very clear manner. As we do so, we will compare ours to Goodreads, which we always do. Goodreads, if, if you don't know, is probably the internet's biggest kind of reading recommendation database. It is a website where you can go review out of a five-star rating system so like one to you know one star to five stars and it yeah compiles reviews it's has a ton of users that's really why we use it as it is the biggest database for that kind of info so if you want to sample the reading public it really is your best bet obviously there's other ways you could but it's the easiest and it's the one we use are you ready to do some ranking oh yeah should we do let's do i think we do one to six normally don't we i forget this every time we do it (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so we'll start uh, with one. No, yes, we do one to six, yeah. I think I think that is good because it helps reveal... I, I think we want to focus on the things we like, that's why. And so in case there's a book here we really dislike and don't want you to read, we, we end with that. Because, yeah, we want to highlight and prioritize the things that we thought were, were really good. That's why we do it one to six. Okay, I'll have to put a note in for that later. Anyway, <laughs> um, Goodreads rankings... Number one, Pachinko, and it got a 4.31 as a casual observation data analysis. Anything over a 4.0 in Goodreads always seems to be a pretty popular, like, strong recommendation. Um, we don't always align with Goodreads, obviously. What do you think? Number one, Pachinko? What do you, how do you feel? For me, I said, yeah, Pachinko. The, oh, that was your number um, one as well. You matched it. Yeah, I nice. did. Uh, I think because for me also, like, my my personal reading interest is um, Korean-American literature, especially if it deals with Korean culture specifically. Um, I'm, I'm always interested in, in learning more about that perspective and, and in learning more about the history and stuff. And, and this is, like, a great book for getting a taste of that history without it being super... Like, the author is very careful not to be, like, anti-Japanese, which in, in, you know, like, there's a lot of the dislike and acrimony between uh, Korea and, and Japan for many reasons. Um, but the author is very careful to to not just be like, hey, all Japanese are, are terrible and all Koreans are saints or anything like that. So I appreciated mm-hmm. that and, and also just like the historical everything. And it's such an approachable read. It's a long read, but it didn't feel long as you're reading. Right. Um, it did not. I, so, I agree with that yeah. totally. Yeah. So I, 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 I really did enjoy that and I appreciated, I think, the the way that the author handled that. Yeah, I'll, I'll casually nod my head in approval to Goodreads on this one. A solid, yeah, a very solid pick. I think I think it didn't take some what kind of, I don't know, linguistic literary chances I was hoping, but it's yeah. also just well-written. It, it intrigues you. It, again, time jumps at, at, I think, the right kind of interesting moments, and the characters are, are well-drawn. As you noted, probably the most important thing is it doesn't fall into cliche or stereotyping, which at this point, mm-hmm. that's not like my baseline expectation for a book, but stories can do that, so it's, it's good that it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we also tend to pick things we think or kind of know will be solid, 
solid, and this is a very, very good, solid novel. And yeah, a long book that yeah. doesn't feel long, 100% agree. My number one is Visit from the Goon Squad, which this I think this was actually the toughest batch to rank for me. I, the kind of one yeah. through four zone... Even one through five, in a way, I was kind of just like, man, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in on a day. But I will say yeah. that I, I had a feeling going in that Goodreads wouldn't love this one. And I also had a feeling going in that, like, I just think in terms of what we do on the podcast, the kind of balance we try and strike, the discussions we try and have, this just is the perfect book for that. It, it's challenging enough mm-hmm. that where you want to read it with somebody else, its ideas are just a little bit bold or disconnected enough that you kind of have to think it through talk it out like ponder what some of the connections could be and i just love that i love when a book doesn't tell you what to think and feel (laughs) in fiction i think that's one of the Mm -hmm. true crimes of uh, fiction is when that when you feel like that's happening and yeah i just thought this was an excellent experiment it's exactly the kind of thing i wanted to pick we'll get to goodreads later but yeah i also had a suspicion this could be you know not their their time this would be low on their pick so i thought it could represent this could be one or three or two i I don't know it's close but i feel very good about recommending it number one goon squad yeah yeah i i also loved it i i also had a hard time with like one through five four and five for me especially i was like nail biter there but like (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, there's some tough tough close calls in here for me too i didn't put any official ties but unofficially there are some all right goodreads their number two book (laughs) is pandora's jar a stunner i was shocked by this yeah, um, that is and at 4.29, which is, you know, 4.29 and Pachinko 4.31, that's, that's essentially a tie. And these are, I would say Pandora's Jar yeah. is a much loftier, more intense thing, to, or not intense, more dense thing to read. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, when I when you wrote down the rankings, I was like, is that right? <laughs> I know, I know. What? What, any Any thoughts on it being number two? Is it a worthy two? I mean, yeah, I loved Pandora's Jar. I'm just yeah. I'm super surprised, especially what we know, what we've observed in other Goodreads rankings that <laughs> that we've done before. Um, it's not my number two. My number two is The City in the City. Mm, yeah. um, but Pandora's Jar is an excellent book. Um, but the reason that I chose City in the City for my second one is I just I loved that novel. I thought that it was exceptionally well written. Um I have only recently gotten into the genre of like sci-fi and this is like very approachable sci-fi. Um, yeah, definitely. And it was an interesting concept. The themes I thought were really um, interesting and important and well done. And I loved the characters and I loved the nod to the noir fiction. Like I just thought that city in the city really hit it out of the park as far as um, just writing in general. No, it. I would say putting that second, which I also did, seemed smart to me, or, or not smart, it felt right to me as well, because I just think it did something impressive, which is making that sci-fi premise like a pretty conceptual and, and, and interesting, intricate conceptual twist and making it approachable. And I feel like that elevated it to two for me and made it kind of a noteworthy enough pick. And, and yeah, it just does the detective fiction stuff well and doesn't pander, doesn't... Um, fall down to cliche at all and I do think that it it's maybe thematically or in terms of setting maybe a little bit 
I don't know, foreboding or kind of dreary or something, which I enjoyed and I could see some people being put off by, but I agree. I, I put it as my number two and I feel really good about it. It's, there, I would say at the beginning, there were times when I went to read it though and was like not excited. I was, I knew it was going to be, it was going to take something to like get back into the mood of the book and understand it. But once you kind of get what Breach is, which happens maybe 50 pages in, I think it's a great great read and a really easy recommendation yeah i agree with two i guess our, our takeaway here for, for goodreads is novels that require scholarly approaches they hate but scholarship that requires scholarly approaches they think is fine and i guess i kind of get that though where it's like <laughs> if you know going into a book it is a essay-based research-based uh, thesis argumentative like Version interpretation of something like doing scholarship. I suppose like your expectations are different and you are just in that brain mode. But I just think that certain types of fiction, people just do not want that to be in their, not to have to require that out of their fiction. They don't want to have to think in the same mode, I guess. I don't know. That's my, that's yeah. my loose idea right now. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was surprised yeah. to see Pandora's Dar at number two, but I don't know. We, we talked about how readable it is. Should we be so surprised? Like it's a, you know, it's a pretty approachable version of that. So. Yeah, it is. And thinking back on the other pieces of nonfiction that we've read, generally, they were pretty high up there as far as rankings in the Goodreads as well, as if I recall correctly. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, next pick. This one also a shocker, but I will say this was a shocker that when I compared mine to theirs, I was kind of thrilled by. But <laughs> Goodreads, uh, number three, <laughs> Soccer and Sun and Shadow, which made it above a 4.0. I would not have guessed that. And it was a 4.19. Yeah. Again, I think we are learning here that with nonfiction, people who come to Goodreads to review expect their nonfiction to do to just I don't know, do stuff is such a bad way to phrase it. But I'm going to say do stuff like <laughs> try interesting things, make them think about. <laughs> certain topics in different ways like yeah yeah i don't know interesting i, I what do you think about that number three and getting over 4.2 basically like that's yeah fascinating i know i i also was surprised by that because this is also um Guyano is from uruguay and so this isn't originally written in english so it's like how did they even find? Are these all soccer enthusiasts who wanted to support? <laughs> I mean, I think Gaiano is like a great writer, um, and I know that he was a journalist as well, right? Like he, he did some journalism. So maybe anyway, I was um, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, that's great. Um, it wasn't my number three. My number three was um, a visit from the Goon Squad. Oh, I think yeah. for a lot of the reasons that it was your number one pick. I love the experimentation of the writing. And I loved that um, the that it was something that you had to kind of like work at. So it didn't make my number one just because like my my top picks are reads that I feel like I can go back to and just like enjoy and not and just like enjoy the reading, enjoy the writing, and I, I feel like a personal connection to it or something. Um, yeah. A visit from the Goon Squad, I didn't feel I had like a necessarily personal connection to it because uh, of you know reasons but i i thought that the writing was was great and i loved the experimentation and and i thought that i benefited from it too because i i you know it it was something that brought me joy yes but also um 
had me like really analyzing, which I love to do. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, that was my, my number three was because I, I do love to analyze that kind of stuff. And it's something that I would reread again um, and find brand new things to analyze as well. So it's yeah, I bet that's true. For, yeah, you're right. And I, I'm one who doesn't reread very much, if at all, only like excerpts and, and moments. But no, I think it's it's worthy of that too, the reread. My number three is Pandora's Jar. I think three and four were the toughest ones for me to list, which we'll get, you know, I'll explain my four in a second. Um, and I'm surprised I put Pandora's Jar over Soccer Sun and, Sh- Sun and Shadow, which I put much, you know, um, lower on my list, which I'll explain why. But it, yeah, I just admired this book. I think the humor, again, is not why I would come to it. It was, that's what we both expected going in. It's like, oh, this is going to be an uproarious, you know, uproarious, you know, romp or whatever through the myths. And it's not that at all. But I was intrigued by so much of her points. And I think so much of her analysis held up. There are definitely some slumps in it. Like it's, I think some of the chapters don't work as well as others, but that's fine. There's 12 essays or 11 essays. Like it's never going to be, you know, a perfect, everyone is immaculate and interesting to to every reader so yeah i admired what she did i think the tone is right i think the writing is approachable enough and you really do get some some intriguing insights into these things that i'd I'd never formally studied beyond like a western civ class or i think i took one philosophy class that was like pretty heavy into greece but definitely not greek plays so yeah really fascinating pandora's jar feel good about three stunned again that it was their number two at a 4.3 but like hey (laughs) goodreads nonfiction readers were seeing a different trend for them uh um, Goodreads yeah. number four is The City in the City at a 3.9. Didn't shock me, but I thought maybe it's it's somewhat understandable, simpler premise would get it up, you know, up to a four. But for their fiction, for Goodreads fiction ratings, like 3.9 seems fair to, to what they like to put in the three zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was um, actually kind of surprised that it was ranked that high with Goodreads because... With fiction, especially like with sci-fi fiction, if there's not, so the concept of breach is not something that's like immediately clear. Definitely and not. In in our experience, like with Goodreads, if things are not like immediately clear, if it's like a tougher novel in some ways, then then it doesn't get a whole lot of love. Um, but I'm I'm so glad that City in the City did well. Um, yeah. My number four was Pandora's Jar. Yeah. Um, And I love that it was an approachable um, academic work. And I felt like I learned a lot from it. And I also, what I liked about it too, is that it, it brought a new perspective for me to, to look at certain things um, that both the, the ancient Greek writings that we've, you know, been exposed to in in our own academic lives but also the the more contemporaneous uh media representations of that so things like wonder woman star trek i was like ah, star trek um mm-hmm. yeah. and <laughs> buffy the vampire slayer so i i was so appreciative of the fact that reading that helped me to kind of like, oh man, I didn't make that connection before. And I love when I feel like I'm, I'm learning something from something that I've read, um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. And it's also why I liked Pachinko and the city and the cities, because I felt like I was, I was getting some insights into the world around me from those readings. So 
I think, yeah, a valid thing about both, too. My, my number four is Pachinko, and like I said, it could have been three. This was, I knew Goon Squad and City would be, because they do things with fiction that I so love, so I knew that the next round would be Pachinko would be in there, Pandora's Jar would be in there, and yeah, I just put it at four. It, again, could easily switch. I just think... It's, again, so easy to recommend because it does many things well. It covers on some history, too, that I think most Americans wouldn't know a ton about. So that's all. I think that intrigues a lot of people with historical fiction when they're like, tell me something I don't know. You know, like, what, what didn't we cover in history class <laughs> in a ton of depth, right? More than, more than a paragraph. And so I, I admire it for that reason. I think for me, for fiction... It pitched a couple of too many fastballs. That was the analogy. I don't even know why I'm using baseball analogy for this, but it's just what I settled on. It just pitched a couple too many fastballs for what I love out of fiction, but I really liked it. And I found it like I was excited to pick it up again when we were reading it. I was excited to get back to it. So lots to admire. I think Pachinko, again, such an easy wreck. And especially if you don't want your fiction to be naughty or strange or like really dense or something i think it's yeah it's perfect it's it's interesting characters well drawn um i just wanted a little bit more punch out of it and i think yeah i think plot wise it had that but writing wise it didn't so Mm -hmm. interesting middle ground but no and an easy rec very positive on that and let's get to our last ones we'll we'll finish these quickly Five for Goodreads is a good family at 3.7. Good Good Family is my number six, not even close. That book is terrible. I the, the the crime of Goodreads on this is that so a good family is 3.7, and for them number six, a, a visit from the Goon Squad is 3.68. That's unforgivable. That's just hilarious. To, that's this is why. So it's like you know we praise Goodreads today. They're listing, but this is why I, I shake my fist at Goodreads so often. That is just pathetic. <laughs> that that is the order of those books. Like just comical to me. I, I will say that they, that they hated Good Family. I was stunned because usually Goodreads falls for these kind of simpler narratives that spell things out for you and that the fiction is pretty easy to comprehend. Like, I don't know, but it, it was really poorly written. So what can you do? Yeah, um, I also was surprised that... I was not surprised that A Good Family did better than The Goon Squad. Um, but I was surprised that <clears throat> Good Family was ranked so poorly uh, with Goodreads <laughs> because mm-hmm. I felt like I, it's it's very much like an airplane read, right? Um, and and those tend to be ranked a little bit higher. I feel like on Goodreads, um, a Good Family is definitely not my number five either. Uh, <laughs> I think you and I we both had Soccer and Sun and Shano as five, and then Good Family as six because yeah. Yeah. A good family was it, it it can be entertaining, right? It's it it's it's definitely something that you could read and and get through it and be like, okay, like whatever. But as far as um like predictability, um character development, I mean she did I will it's say very shallow that for <laughs> yes, it is a very shallow book. But I will say that for a first-time novel, she at least did try to make... She she did experiment a little bit in that she did have two narrators, so two different voices that she was trying to create um, two very different perspectives and therefore two very different characters and two very different voices. And she did try 
something with the mystery itself. So, like, I, I think that she tried, and and you know, hey, good job trying. Um, so, uh-huh. so yeah, that <laughs> do not do not read that book. That's my uh, review. It's my number six. It's like <laughs> it's the only one of these six that I would say do not read this. Which I think usually in our groups of six, there's usually one that sneaks in like that where I'm like, oh goodness, do not read this. And then the rest, you know, can fight out the order in whatever way. I think Soccer and Sun and Shadow Two is my five because. I thought it had a phenomenal first third, but then when it got into the World Cup history and just kind of that's all it was doing in the you know back two thirds, I don't know, it just didn't grip me as much. There were moments, of course, that were so brilliant and genius, and I loved some of the history, but I think he was just at his best when he was writing about the game without trying to tell us about the history of the game, which is a weird middle ground yeah. to try and end up in. So I, I, may, I may be looking for a book that could never exist, basically, <laughs> but his, his introductory chapter is about just the mechanics of the sport the philosophies of it just the general construction of it i was like man this is perfect i just loved it so it was it's five because it fell off for me uh had it sustained that first third that i loved somehow some way Mm -hmm. then i think it might have been my you know a two to three type of book for me um but yeah i think it's easy to recommend for people who love soccer just because you want to see the game discussed in a poetic beautiful way but for a soccer outsider it would be a tougher sell I think I, I would try but I could see a person saying like yeah this isn't really what I want to know about the game so yeah an interesting one and a comfortable five it's a good family six like it's the only one I don't think you should read Goodreads putting Goon, Goon Squad worse is just I throw up my hands again at Goodreads it's hilarious that's just <laughs> insane <laughs> it uh, yeah, makes yeah. no sense so yeah. Anyway, soccer, soccer, and sudden shadow for me. I also really enjoyed. The reason that it was number five for me is I felt like, just like for you, the latter half, uh, the latter two thirds kind of like fell off for you. It did the same for me um, because I felt like it was, it was less poetic in the in the latter mm-hmm. half of it, and also it was almost repetitive i felt like it was just like oh here's another right. list of players here's another list of scores and and i was just like it's not not my jam but like the 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 earlier works that he included they were just so beautifully written and so uh, he does such great things with like metaphor and imagery and i just really loved that if he had if he had even like cut it off at the halfway point and just kept it at that. I mean, it amazing. Like, yeah. Yeah. He that, accomplished yeah. so many wonderful linguistic things in those first couple sections, chapters that I'm just going to always admire for that. The, the Goodreads rated at 4.2. Again, I'm just kind of shocked. I mean, it's not the writing I would have pegged um, the, the, kind of reading public enjoying but yeah i think i think what we've learned from today from goodreads is that the nonfiction they're definitely up for more of a challenge more something a little more dense but with fiction it just does not seem like that's that's what they want they being the massive reading public and good who knows how many recommendations or reviews these books had you know thousands and thousands so hard to generalize but yeah any final thoughts on this group of six books again hard to recommend um in, in order, lots of good stuff, obviously, we've covered today. Many of these books I enjoyed a lot. Ranking them was yeah. tough. This was a harder batch to, to rate, I yeah. think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, same yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, in, in a positive way. Right, yeah. 
all but one were good. <laughs> Do not read A Good Family by H. Kim, and the rest are, yeah, pretty pretty excellent. Depends on what you want. Uh, we hope, listeners, as always, that by finishing this recommendation, and uh, highlights episode, I should say, that you got a good recommendation or two out of it. We hope we gave you some ideas about what to read next. And I should say, she sure said this at the top, I'll say it now, all of our episodes on these books are in the podcast feed. We keep it as kind of an archive and hope that you go back and listen to back episodes because they'll be there as long as the podcast runs. So if you need a new book, check those out. If you read one of them, check out our episodes and podcasts on those. They will be there in perpetuity. So hopefully we got you a book or two to, to read. Uh, any podcast platform that you're on, if you could rate or recommend the show there, that helps a ton. Any you know five-star rating or like written review helps a lot. Spotify and iTunes especially. And then, yeah, check us out on social media. Mention this at the top. We'll recommend it again here. We have a Facebook and Instagram account at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word for your easy searching pleasure. Keep up with us there. Follow us on social media. Uh, We thank you, as always, for listening all the way through. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages. Thank you.